This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. We but mirror the world. All the tendencies present in the outer world are to be found within us. If we change ourselves, the tendencies in the world will also change. This paraphrased quote from Mahatma Gandhi is the basis of the program you are about to hear. I'm Dedelian, and this is Shining Stars, a program dedicated to searching out and bringing attention to individuals and organizations that are fostering positive change within our community and within our world. Welcome once again to Shining Stars. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary cites 1991 as the very first time that the word cyber crime was uh, used. Now, just over three decades later, technology has developed to the point where most of the electronic devices we use today probably would be hardly understood by somebody in 1991. Along with that, of course, cyber criminal attacks have become more prevalent and more sophisticated. How concerned should you be? And what can you do to make sure that you are not a victim of cybercrime? Well, LCC Connect features a program called The Safety Plan, and it is intended to answer these questions and help listeners become more educated on practicing good cyber hygiene. And I'm pleased to welcome into the studio today our host of The Safety Plan and Lansing Community College's Director of Information Security as well, Mr. Paul Schwartz. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we should have a sound effect there, yeah. Big D. Well, that you'd, would really you know, I, most of the shows do have that sound effect. Me, <laughs> I just like to let it let it be. Let it let it sink in. Well, sure. welcome to the show, Paul. Uh, th- this, of course, uh, conversation is something that uh, I don't know if you recall it, but I do. We we had a little bit of a conversation here at the studio last week, and uh, that's what prompted me to bring you in. First, before we get started, do me a favor, like just kind of give me a quick synopsis of how you got from wherever you were in the world to here at Lansing Community (laughs) College as the Information uh, Security Director. Great. Thank you for that um, enormous uh, intro and and welcome. And I'm... (laughs) Super happy to be here. I love talking to you, and so this will be fun. Um, so uh, back in the beginning, um, I guess, uh, where to start? I grew up in Iowa and then went to school and got a computer science degree. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I started a 20-year career in the Air Force as a communications officer. Very good. And so through the Air Force, I did some boring things, which were like configuration management and um, incident response. Um, uh, but I did do some exciting things. I did uh, software maturity reviews on the B-2 bomber. That's the big stealth oh, wow. bomber. And mm-hmm. then I worked in uh, for the British government in London on an exchange program. Um, I, I led the Air Force ROTC detachment at the University of Minnesota and um, did various jobs during the 20 years. More or less as an officer, they rotate you every two years. So 
executive officer, chief a good, of staff. Good bulk of it sounds like it was military yep. oriented. Yep, yep, definitely. Okay. And over that 20 years, I did uh, earn uh, two master's degrees and a whole bunch of valuable certifications that culminated in a CISP, which is a Certified Information System Security Professional, which is the kind of the gold standard of certifications for cybersecurity. And mm -hmm. then eventually retired as a lieutenant colonel back in 2014 and moved to Lansing to be closer to family. And I was minding my own business for about six months and then happened to get a job here at LCC as the director of <laughs> So it was security. completely accidental then. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I've been in this role for the last eight years here at uh, LCC. All right. Uh, you uh, you gave me a funny look when I said the Merriam Dictionary said in 1991 as the first time that the word cybercrime was used. Do you feel like that's appropriate or not? Yeah, yeah, right. I think I've used that exact quote before in my past. Okay. I think that's why I gave you a funny look. All right. See, I thought maybe I was wrong on my fact checking there, and I found it on the Webernet. And as you know, everything on the Webernet is completely and utterly truthful. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which kind of brings us to uh, the point of today. Everything on the Internet is not truthful, of course. Um, and there are a lot of things you need to be cautious of. There was a point where you and I had a conversation. You happened to stop into the studio last week. And I kind of was telling you a, tr a little bit of a problem I was having with my Mac. And you, you kind of like eased my anxiety about being hacked or anything like that. Uh, you, you know, you kind of said... In summary, you are not important enough for anybody to want to hack into your computer, which you were right. I finally did figure out the issue to my computer. It was something else and not having anything to do with that. It, yeah. it, it basically was it's a Mac and, and the tracking pad sometimes goes bad. Mm -hmm. So that's what I dealt with. But it was enough to make me feel a little bit of anxiety. So to kind of kick off and, and kind of get this conversation going, what I'd like to know from you is, is as far as the average person goes, somebody like you or me, I, I, and you're a little above average, of course, you know, <laughs> oh, man, obviously. keep spreading that message. <laughs> but uh, as far as the average person goes, what what do they need to think about? What do they need to be careful about when it does come to cybersecurity? Yeah, so I, I do. I think of, uh, you know, several things um, when it comes to cybersecurity. And the first is um, practicing good, basic cyber hygiene. Okay. And that could mean several things. The first is we see a lot of users that are sloppy with their passwords. And so that either means they're, they're not making strong passwords. So... Mm -hmm. Um, their passwords they're creating are just the one, two, three, A, B, C. Mm -hmm. um, and those are easily guessed and crackable. Sure. Um, and perhaps even a bigger concern right now is they're reusing that password. So they're using that password on their Home Depot account and their Target account and their LCC login and their bank account and so forth. And once one of those sites gets compromised, Home Depot has been in the news, Target's been in the news, actually almost all companies have almost already been in the news. Once one of those sites is compromised, now the criminals have your login information and what password you used on that specific account. They're now going to run a five-second script, which is a program that tests that password and that login at all banks and all credit cards and 
and, and all social media sites and everywhere to see if they can further compromise and get into those accounts. And because people reuse the same password, the criminals now have access into your bank account. Now they can start making withdrawals or, or purchases at Target or, or, or what, what have you. Now, so password reuse is a big thing. The second thing is recognizing phishing. Now, phishing can come in the form of emails or text or phone calls. And this is where it's false information. They're trying to get you to provide your credit card number or personal information about you, your bank account details. Usually it's financially driven. So they're trying to get extort you for money or, 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 or along those lines. And so recognizing those phishing emails, and you probably get those in your, your personal email and you, you get them in your work email. And it's, you know, like, hey, here's an invoice for a fake charge um, that you haven't paid or mm -hmm. your, your, your email uh, storage size is uh, you're reaching almost 100 percent and you won't be able to send emails unless you open this link or attachment. And so mm -hmm. the criminals are trying to infect your computer or steal your information. So phishing is another big one. The final one I can think of right now is malware infection. So when you do fall for phishing and open that attachment or link, or if you're just browsing the internet and you go to some suspect sites that happen to be compromised and, and have malware on it, just by clicking on that or going to these websites, that starts an automatic process where if the site's malicious, it scans your computer, looking to see if your software is up to date, looking to see what vulnerabilities you have, and then starts downloading automatically software onto your computer, infecting your computer. And once your computer is infected, then they're going to start searching all your files, looking for passwords, looking for bank account details, or they'll sit there and monitor you or, or steal your information or ransomware it and encrypt it and so forth. So, so some, some bad things uh, that could come from, from malware. So to prevent that uh, for malware, um, what we'd like to see is you to practice safe computing, to have an antivirus product running, to look for infections, to have your software up to date, to have your computer encrypted and so forth. Okay, so top two, or if I was to say it yeah. in two things, make sure you've got some good passwords going on, or the NABC123. <laughs> right. And, uh, of course, make sure that uh, you are careful about whatever you click on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, that, that seems to make sense. And and part of the reason I brought you in is because anybody that doesn't know Paul, he he has a tendency <laughs> to be a little bit self-deprecating. And, and 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 he was joking, but I know that other people other than me and his his mom listen to his podcast, The Safety Plan. I absolutely love what you're doing because I love everything you just covered just now, you've actually mentioned on your show and I have actually learned quite a bit from what you have to say. And that's part of the reason why I brought you on, because I want other people to make sure that uh, they have the opportunity to check out your show. Now, what's a little bit different, though, with this show is, is I try to get towards the positive end. You definitely are, are being very vigilant about making sure that people understand what to be scared of. Mm -hmm. But kind of what I want to know today is what are some something good that's coming out of the cybersecurity world or information technology? Yeah, you're, th thanks for um, the, the shameless plugs for the safety plan. Oh, I will keep plugging. Trust me. <laughs> there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of bad news when it comes to cybersecurity. And uh -huh. in my opinion, the last few decades, we have been fighting a losing battle and uh, in, in kind of the wild west of technology. And, 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 and so sometimes people 
you can, I guess what I'm saying is you can almost assume now your information's been compromised and, and you've, you've probably been a victim of identity theft. But what that opens up is a lot of opportunities for positive things, like how to fight the cybercrime and what you can do. And one of the biggest things that is uh, maybe selfishly uh, an advantage is there's a lot more jobs in cybersecurity right now, and they are very high paying. Understandably so they're, that they're there, too. Definitely trying yeah. to get a lot more people into cybersecurity to try and, um, you know, make the world. I, it, I guess I equate myself to maybe the, the policeman of the Internet to try and make things a little um, a little bit safer on the Internet mm-hmm. is um, is one of the positive things we try to do. Certainly. I think the safety plan, the whole show's premise is set up to, you know, maybe talk about a little bit, a little bit of bad news. Like what's a, a scam? What's something bad that's happened? And then I try to make the show maybe same as you're thinking, more positive. Like what could you do so you're not a victim of this and not fall for this? And how can you best position yourself um, to, to never have this happen to you. And I will attest to that. You definitely do. I, I think a lot of what I'm trying to say too, though, is you don't get a, as much time to focus on all that positivity because you have to explain what to be careful of first. Yeah. And as you know, most anything you're going to hear in the media, the news these days, it's all going to be pretty much, you know, what it, it's kind of scare tactic. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, some th- some of the good stuff doesn't necessarily make the headlines. Yeah. So and some of that uh, scare tactics is going to cause uh, anxiety and a lot of people mm-hmm. and and you know in cybercrime there's there's a there's a big portion of it that's very technical and sophisticated and complex and very integrated, um, but there are some things that um, are very in your face and readily available that everyone can do and and on how to be safe and how to prevent yourself from falling. Uh, for cybercrime. Getting a little bit off subject, I, I suppose it's still on subject, but I was actually, when I was trying to look for questions, th- things to ask you, ways to approach it, I was I was looking up positive outcome uh, that have happened in the cybersecurity world. And I went to a website, you know, and they, they had this list of stuff, but the very first thing it said was, Almost everybody in the world has been hacked. Do you think that's true? That is that, that I do think that I, I've got a pessimistic view of it um, and that I people should assume that all of their information is now on the Internet somewhere and um, and, and they should operate their devices with the suspicion that, yes, it's already compromised and I should be on the readily readily looking for signs that it's been compromised, like an antivirus alert or or mm-hmm. something that that an unexpected behavior with the with the software something along those lines you should always have that level of suspicion when you're dealing with with technology nowadays all right good to know that's mm-hmm. that's part of the conversation isn't it all right so it did fit uh over the past decade uh, give me some of the best innovations or changes that have contributed to uh combating cybercrime yeah. Big D, I thought we were going to have some softball questions here. Now you're, you're throwing overhand, uh, you know, hard style and Major League Baseball. It, it would have been nice to have these questions beforehand. But this is, this is, I guess, um, so some of the best innovations, um, I'm looking at multi-factor authentication. Now, this is okay, a yes. technology that's really become more and more mainstream today than it has been the past few decades. So, so instead of in the past where we just had a user 
username and password. Now, these are two things that were, are, are in your head that were given to you to log into the computer. Well, criminals have figured a way around this because people just happily give you this information or they can scrape mm. it or, or steal it other ways. So multi-factor authentication is adding another level. And so multi-factor would be now that the password and username is something you know, now it, another factor would be something you have. And so this multi-factor authentication is sending a code um, to you uh, when you go to log in to your phone or it's a phone call or it's a key fob or one mm -hmm. of the other ways, but it's something that you carry or have in addition to your username and password. So that's been a great um, technology that has all but eliminated uh, phishing uh, and, and the ability to uh, compromise accounts because criminals don't have your smartphone when they have stolen your username and password. And so they're not able to get into your account. So right. I think that one's been a great innovation. I think that is one of those things I'm still trying to learn to appreciate as well, because usually when I'm, when that happens to me, my phone is somewhere not around me. So now I've got to, got to look for my phone. I got to go back, put the code in. Right. But yes, I, I figured that would be one of your picks. It adds a level of inconvenience, but yes. it, the, the benefit of the security easily outweighs that inconvenience because you don't want... Uh, we had a user that um, that caused an incident last week where the user had $5,000 taken out of their checking account who didn't have multi-factor on their account. That would have prevented this account compromise. So, And that's the definitely. stuff I keep in mind when I go looking for my phone. So, <laughs> All right. The second thing I think of when, when, you, when you're looking at best innovations, it's the news attention and the cyber kind of security and crime knowledge and the policy expansion that has occurred over the last few decades, including um, like the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI and the military and all these organizations that are now spinning up departments and getting personnel and resources to fight cybercrime. So there's a lot more attention um, to try and combat uh, cybercrime. And, and I guess the final thing I'm thinking of when you, when you talk about innovations and changes is that I think people are being more careful now with their information because they are starting to wrap their heads around the impact of their social security number being out there and how criminals could take that along with a search on the internet uh, to get your address and maybe your job. Mm -hmm. And then they can, they can submit that information uh, in a fake you know, IRS refund uh, application uh, for taxes, or they can go commit unemployment fraud or, or, or take out a credit card in your name or, a, or a, a mortgage or whatever. And so I think there's definitely been a significant increase in the, in people's, um, you know, knowledge of, of cyber practices and cybercrime. I would definitely agree with you on that. And again, it, a lot has to do with people like you. You're educating people on it. And again, it's called the Safety Plan. See, I told you I'd plug it again. Yeah, nice, nice. You can catch it on lccconnect.org, too. There you go. I'm going to go ahead and plug the uh, Connect all together. Uh, okay, since you got into it a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit of a different direction in that what I want you to explain to me is how would you explain to somebody like me, somebody who's not into IT, 
What is the dark web? Oh, the dark web. Evil and dirty (laughs) dark web. Right. Okay. So there's, um, you have the internet uh, where you use Google and, um, you know, eBay and all the other great websites. And those can be searched for uh, through a search search engine like Google Mm -hmm. or Yahoo or one of the other ones. There are some sites that aren't registered with those search engines. So you have to know the address to get to the site. It's okay. on the, it's connected to the internet, but you can't get to it uh, because it isn't searchable and you need a special browser to get to it. Um, and, and in one case you would use, um, you know, the, the Tor browser, which is, it's kind of like Google Chrome and Microsoft Edge, but it's a mm-hmm. special browser. And it has the ability, because of the encrypted path it takes to get to these sites, it can get to these sites. So the dark web is a group of sites that is a little bit more difficult to get to, unless okay. you have the special software and know the location. But on the dark web is these sites that do a whole bunch of illegal activity and some legal activities, um, but mainly it's used by criminals to perpetuate, you know, criminal activity, selling of drugs or, um, you know, drivers, fake driver's licenses mm-hmm. or doing doing all types of uh, nefarious, malicious uh, activities. Oh, so dark, so dark. <laughs> You touched on it a little bit at the beginning, uh, but tell me the three most important things that somebody could do to practice good cyber hygiene. Okay, three of them, huh? Now, let's define good cyber hygiene. Now, to me, that means, you know, practicing, you know, having a a password or a thumbprint uh, protection to get into your computer or your smartphone it means encrypting your device, uh, using antivirus software, having the latest software installed, so patched and updated, enabling and, and maybe configuring a firewall, you know, routinely backing up your data, and then practicing safe com- computing. And I spoke of that earlier, recognizing phish emails, using caution when downloading files, you know, staying away from those torrent uh, downloading downloads, and browsing wisely, not going to suspicious websites. So those... All of those encapsulate kind of good cyber hygiene. Now, you asked me what are the top three, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go with um, our, our previous conversation of sure. solid password practices. Don't yep. reuse your password. You need a unique password at every site, especially your bank account, especially your work login. You know, maybe some of these like social media ones like the Facebook and the you know, the, the eBay, not eBay, because that that uh, that t- has ability to buy things. But, um, you know, maybe uh, anyway, the, these kind of low level accounts, maybe maybe you could reuse passwords there because it doesn't impact you as hard. But right. the general principle is have a unique password at every site you go to and then keep all those passwords in a password manager. Now, that's it could be as simple as a, a yellow sticky that you write down all your information on, or it could be a Microsoft Word document that you encrypt or there's special software called password managers there's a free one key pass that you could use to keep all your passwords in it so you just need to log into that and then copy and paste out the unique password to all these accounts and you this is so important that you actually dedicated an entire episode of the safety plan to it so yeah Right. Yeah. If you go to my safety plan past episodes, <laughs> shameless plug number four. I think we're at five or six <laughs> oh, now, geez. really. But we should have go a ahead. counter in here. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah. I talk all about password uh, practices. This, the second of the three things that's most important is 
recognizing scams and phishing, you know, looking for those red flags, you know, is, is let's say the email you receive that says, um, you know, you have an invoice due and, and, and it's going to charge you $1,200 to your credit card. They're trying to create a little bit of panic and a sense of urgency there. So you don't think you just start clicking and taking action without thinking, but you need to review who sent it to you. Is that who should have sent it to you? Mm -hmm. Do you even have that product that the, the, the payments overdue on um, is there contact information in there so you can follow up with the sender to verify the legitimacy of the uh, the email hover over those links uh, that are embedded in that email to see if they're going to the same site. Yeah. Uh, you know, if the invoice is for McAfee software, is that link going to the McAfee.com website? Um, and, and look at that attachment. It is appropriately named. It's it's really tough to click on links and attachments now because they could be all malware infected. So sometimes when you are suspicious, you need to run those through a scanner such as VirusTotal.com to make sure they're safe, those are safe. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing, recognizing kind of scams and phishing. The final thing of the top three things the average person should do is have backups. So that means mm. all those photos you take on your phone and you put on your computer and all those important documents like your your old tax returns and, and all this information, you should back it up onto a thumb drive or some other medium and then keep that separate from your computer and probably not even in your house in case your house burns down and you don't mm -hmm. have your backup. So maybe keep that somewhere else that's safe. Say say maybe at your work or, or elsewhere. Um, so having backups because the bad guys have figured out that those backups are super important to people because they don't want to lose their pictures. Those right. are memories that last a lifetime unless they burn in a fire. And so those backups are super important and that they're going to try and encrypt them or get to them. And so um, it's super important to have uh, safe uh, backups. Well, and I will definitely say that I am guilty of not doing number three as much as I should. Yeah. And I've actually had not not due to hacking or anything like that, but, you know, if your computer finally goes down, you lose your pictures. Yeah. And I've actually had that happen to me. So, oh, yeah. Is, so yeah. have I. And yeah. I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah, and I, yes, I eat are. up this stuff. I love it. And <laughs> and it's tough. Like you're saying, this is how I, I try and combat it. I set up a calendar reminder that goes off, say, every three months. For me, it's every six months. And when I get to that date and that little reminder goes off, then that kind of tells me, make it a priority, stick the thumb drive in your computer, copy all the files to it, unplug it. You know, it takes it takes a while, maybe 30 minutes, maybe even longer. Um, but to have it on a reoccurring uh, you know, basis as a routine, that's one way that you will then frequently back up your stuff instead of letting it go right. until the point where you need it and right. you don't have it. And then you go, man, I wish I'd back that up. Man, those pictures are gone forever. Right. <laughs> uh, Paul, uh, Paul Swartz from The Safety Plan. Uh, thank you very much for coming in talking with me a little bit about it today. Uh, I did. I know we've been joking about plugging your show, but I did want to bring you in, first of all, to bring attention to it, because I think you are making a very positive and cool change in the world, whether you believe me or not, or whether I, you know, you, you're giving me this kind of yeah, sure, whatever <laughs> look on your face. But but you are you're doing some great stuff. So I wanted to bring attention to the show. Uh, last question, though, for you. Uh, this is one that I ask of all my guests. If you had the ability to snap your fingers and put one thought into the collective consciousness of the entire human race at the same time, 
what would that thought be? Now, now so this one I'm prepared for because you ask this question every single I do. time. It is as, always my last question. As one of your avid listeners, <laughs> I enjoy the answers to these. And I love that people say, you know, hey, I'd like everyone to be kind. Or there's one concept I think I've thought about maybe presenting that was, you know, maybe you should think about what's the next best step I can take um, right now. And if you think of that at any time, maybe it won't lead you into being overwhelmed or depressed or complaining or dwelling on a decision. Just think positive. So here's what I'm going to say to answer your question. Okay. If I had to snap my fingers and pass this thought to everyone, I think it should come from, uh, I think my, my brother who, who served some, some time in the U S army, uh, he had this thought when, when he was on deployment and would come upon an issue or a problem, he -hmm. would say, and I think this is an army quote, screw it, drive over it. That Mm -hmm. was the thought. Okay. And to him, it meant, you know, maybe he's in a huge tank and rolling through a meadow and he came, came upon a wall, you know, what to do. And as you think through all the different possibilities to the army, it was screw it, drive over it. Okay. And, and, and this is what it means to me though. That yeah, phrase. That's where I'm waiting. That's yeah, what I'm, right, ask yeah. I'm not what? driving a tank every day. No, I'm driving. A, yeah, no, to me, it means when I come upon an issue that's intimidating or a solution that might not be obvious or it's painful, just having a positive attitude and taking action is what is best and will serve you well. So what I like to say to everybody is screw it, drive over it. Okay. Or positive attitude. (laughs) Remember, we can all contribute something good to this world. No matter how big or how small, a simple smile or a friendly gesture is all it takes to expand positivity one inch further. Thanks so much for listening to Shining Stars and, of course, sharing your time with me today. I'm Dedalian, and you can listen to this episode of Shining Stars On Demand along with other LCC Connect programs at lccconnect.org. Featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that help to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College is proud to educate all those who want to learn. To make that education affordable for more students, the LCC Board of Trustees has voted to freeze tuition and mandatory fees for all students through the 2022 through 2023 academic year. To learn more, please visit lcc.edu and search admissions. As I went through school, one giant question loomed over me. What did I want to be? But in order to know what I wanted to be, I had to first decide what I wanted to make. I wanted to make more. So I became a teacher. Now I make learning a privilege, not a chore. And frustration, a tool, not an obstacle. I make working hard seem easy and giving up impossible. I make an old subject feel like a fresh thought 
and unconventional methods common. I make material things less important, and little things like patience and kindness count. I make weekdays more exciting than weekends, and classrooms feel like anything but. I make things different, which is all I ever hoped for. I'm a teacher. I make more. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Founded in 1957, LCC has addressed the needs of Michigan industries through education for more than 65 years. Anchored by the downtown campus located in the heart of Lansing, LCC serves mid-Michigan communities with additional campuses in Delta Township, East Lansing, and Livingston County. The college offers more than 200 degrees and certificate programs and is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Those interested in learning more about LCC may visit lcc.edu slash youbelong. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. You're listening to LCC Alumni Stories, a show dedicated to highlighting the amazing alumni of Lansing Community College. I'm Steve Robinson, president of LCC, and on each episode, I have the awesome privilege of getting to know one of our many inspiring alums and hearing about their experiences at and since leaving LCC. The LCC alumni community is expansive and far-reaching. They're an incredibly diverse group of people representative of all walks of life, working in hundreds of industries across the country. LCC Alumni Stories shines a bright light on alumni who make positive contributions to their communities and showcases those who have overcome obstacles and barriers to achieve academic and personal success. These are their dynamic stories. My guest today is Chelsea Van. She attended LCC as an international student from 1998 to 2001. Chelsea currently works as an academic success coach at LCC. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Hi, thank you, Dr. Robinson, and thank you for having me. Oh, I'm delighted to have you, and uh, it's really wonderful to have you on the show, and I want to hear about your experience as a student, particularly as an international student, but before we get to your alumni story, tell me a little bit about what you do here at LCC. You are an academic success coach, right? Yes, I am. How long have you had that job? I have that job since day one. I'm very fortunate to be selected for the first five um, hiring in on and so I start on February the 6th um, 2017 and the five of us I think now Sarah and I are the two original left but that's fantastic so uh, for our listeners our academic success coach program is a few years old but you were one of the very first so one of the first five yes I am that's great the original five <laughs> So you've been with our academic success coaching program from the beginning. Tell me a little bit about how it's changed over the last five years or so. The change is amazing. Mm -hmm. I witnessed a transformation of this program from scratch. Like we start from scratch, basically. Right. Um, and we aim to be a national model mm -hmm. um, for all community colleges. So it is amazing transformation from a team building, putting more staff in up to 18 coaches. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so we have, we're at 18 coaches right now. Because there's a movement of um, staff resigning to go to another university or they have opportunity and whatnot. But 18 coaches, two managers, and a director. Right. And so you, you got to be there from the ground floor. You've seen it um, develop over time. 
Tell me about the impact of this program. What kinds of things do you and your colleagues do for our students? The impact, I think it's, it's very significant mm -hmm. because every single student that build a relationship with coaches and faculty members as well, everyone told us that they are so glad that they have us here mm -hmm. to be a focal contact person for students, but also a liaison between different departments. So we are be able to provide students with wrap-up service and student, many students, especially international student, global student community keep telling me like, I am so glad you're here to help me through the transition. And I love that part. That's a population, special population that I'm dealing with. So mm -hmm. um, international student and global student, but all the liberal arts students as well was oh. under my, my, um, um, helping taking care of them. Right. So I heard you say two things. One is that you provide focus for students, right? I'm assuming that's about their goals, the things they want yes. to achieve here. But then you also use this important word liaison. You get to help that student connect with all the various pieces and parts of LCC, right? Because we're a big organization, lots of little um, departments and moving parts. You help kind of smooth that out for students, don't you? Yes, yes, we do. We help student advocate for themselves, but also um, teach students not only just academic skill building, accountability, but also help them to um, ask for what they need, you know, be an advocate um, for themselves. And I would say to many students, like, if you run into any issue or barrier on campus or off campus, if you think of me, I think I'm, it's, it's the program is very successful because I will help you navigate on campus and also off campus um, resources. And I'll be your cheerleader. I can be your accountability partner to make sure that you reach your potential and academic goal. I love all of that. And, and one thing I want to amplify from what you just said, it sounds like you directly help students with these things, but maybe more than that is you help them build capacity to do these things on their own. Yes, we do. I think because um, from my experience, I also work for uh, CAMWA, uh, Michigan Works. Oh, um, yeah, so, CAMWA, right? Yes. That's it, C-A-M-W, Capital Area Michigan Works. I've, I've been here for two years, but I'm still <laughs> learning all our acronyms, right? Yes. CAMWA. So I I sometimes help students. We have a career services center, but I sometimes also take an opportunity to help students with employability, mm -hmm. um, not just academic skill, but life skills sometimes if they need it, and be a listening ears and make them feel comfortable. And once they are in LCC, join the program, join our college, um, I want to make them feel comfortable and belong. So I think that's important. I think it's important too. That's our tagline, right? You belong here. Yes. So you mentioned that one of the student populations you work with is international global students. That's probably a good transition to talking about your story. You came to LCC as an international student in 1998? Yes. Yeah, tell me that story. How did you come to LCC? Where did you come from? And what was that like for you? I um, originally came from Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And I worked for um, the U.S. government before I came here called United States Agency for International Development. Okay. That's how I um, make connection to my former boss, where she would like to help support women to empower women so she she said you need to um 
study and take the test, TOEFL test, and try to study abroad, go to the U.S. and be an international student there. So I did that, and she sponsored. And so I came in in the fall 1998 to LCC. I started my first semester at LCC as an international student. So you worked for USAID, right? That's I, the, yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. And did you come straight to Michigan or were you in a different part of the country coming uh, from Phnom Penh? I came, actually, yes. I came first to Houston, Texas. Really? I have an uncle and an aunt that um, migrate um, after the genocide um, in the 80s to Houston. So they live in Katy, actually, Katy, Texas, 45 minutes outside of Houston. Right. And I was there for two semesters on my intensive English. And apparently, uh, things didn't work out. Um, they couldn't support. So I, I called up my former boss, uh, Farron, said I didn't want to return home and I would like to pursue my higher education. How, and how would I do that? Um, they said, don't worry, just come to Lansing, Michigan, go to LCC and look for a job and we'll really? help you out. So they put me up, provide me room and board until I complete my associate degree at LCC and also earn my bachelor from Michigan State. That is fantastic. And, and I want to hear more about that. You did mention, though, the very, very tumultuous and terrible times in your in your home country, right? So yes. I'm, am, am, am I right in assuming that the, the genocide and the tragedy that happened in, in Cambodia had something to do with you re- relocating to the United States where um, was was it after that that you and your family yes. came? Yes, the um, the Khmer Rouge um, genocide took over right um, April nineteen ninety seventy five, mm-hmm. and it lasted until January nineteen seventy nine. That's when everything demolished. We returned to year zero. No, I think we have like ten professors left for the whole country. It was a purge of, it, of that yes, society, a, a society, wasn't it? academic and all of that. So that's when I lost my only brother and my father and my mother with four daughters after oh, the Chelsea, war. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's and I, okay. Yeah, and, and I, I know that's part of your story. I'm sorry to dwell on it, but uh, it, it seems that you uh, coming here was a real transformation for, for you, right? After yes. that, after the almost unimaginable tragedy of, yes. of, what, of what happened in the 70s. Um, so so you, first you come to Texas, and then there's great opportunity for you in Lansing. Yes. Um, tell me about your first days here. What was it like as an international student uh, here when you arrived in, in, in the late 90s? It was very exciting. Okay. It was very exciting. I remember when the plane landed in Houston was like, wow, this is America. Even at night, it looked kind of excited. So um, yes, and it's like, and before I know it, wow, it's it's as hot as Houston, as hot as Cambodia. But um, I love my classes that um, in um, like community, Houston Community College mm-hmm. as well that I attended. And I love those classes. And Houston Community College is big. Yes. I just, just this last weekend, I, I, this last week I was at a conference. I spent most of it with the current chancellor of Houston Community College. Oh. He told me that at one point they had uh, well over 100,000 students. Wow. I mean, it, it, far in excess of that. It's a huge system. So you started taking classes there, but then you relocated to Lansing. I relocated to Lansing. Um, I didn't know anything about the family I'm about to 
live with and also know nothing about Michigan weather. So I'm in a nice surprise when it's snow. I've never seen snow in my life. So Very different from Cambodia and Very Houston. Very different. And Houston. <laughs> so, But I was so excited. So my host parent... Roberta, she brought me the next week to LCC and register and then look for a job right away. So I found a job to work for a student affairs office with the dean's office as a student employee. So you worked here in I addition worked. to going to yes, school. I that, worked. That's a wonderful story. So Thank what you. did you study and what was your associate's degree in? I was not sure what I would like to do. So I was I was just tested out like what... I know what I would like for a bachelor degree, but uh, for an associate, I was like, I just need to take all the classes and see if I can transfer to Michigan State University. Right. So mm-hmm. um, after a year of language study and also two years, I received my associate degree and um, it's undecided at that time. It should okay. be liberal arts, but it's undecided okay. at that time. So like a general studies general pathway, study. yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, what was the transition like, your transfer experience from here to Michigan State? It was um, a little bit of a shock for the classroom and the auditorium size from yeah. a oh. one-on-one. I took um, classes in those. We're, I'm also an alum of Michigan State. Big, big lecture halls, hundreds of people, right? Yes, yes. So that must have been different. It was It was different, and but... The James Madison College for um, the university, Mm -hmm. um, it's small enough. I don't live in a dorm like other students, so I don't really build connection there. But I have um, a community at the Writing Center because before I leave LCC, I also work at the Writing Center with Jill Recklin. So I transferred to the Writing Center at MSU, and I have another community and friend there. So I spend a lot of time hanging out at the Writing Center and provide tutoring writing. We have that in common. Not not only do I know Professor Reglin really well, we worked together at another community college where I worked at the Writing Center. And I, when I was a student at Michigan State, I made use of the Writing Center as well. So not only did I work in one, I, I used one. So we have that in common. So um, so your uh, your bachelor's is James Madison? Yes. I, what a great place. You. I received a bachelor in international relations in, I think, their work from USAID and seven years of nonprofit organization before I joined USAID. I worked for seven years after my high school in 1990. So it's it provided me the foundation and also allowed me to want to be in that profession. Right. Well, and I can, I can picture, because I had lots of friends uh, at James Madison. I actually had a writing gig over there in one of the research institutes when I was a grad student. You must have been a real source of knowledge among your students, right? Because a lot of the James Madison students are probably have, have, you know, maybe from, you know, the United States, from Michigan, have a, have a pretty standard background, traditional college age, right? And you come to an international studies program with not just an international background, but a really comprehensive one, having worked at USAID and and made your journey from Cambodia to here. Did you did you find your professors to be very interested in your background? Yes, we have interesting this class discussions um, because I think one of the uh, minors, I think I have a minor in um, 
political and social economic development in the third world or I shouldn't call it the third world yeah, in South Asia, developing country or developing country. We'd have to ask our faculty what the what the appropriate term is now, but I know what you're talking about, I mean, yes. the developing world or, or, or in that part of the world. The less developed country. There we go. So mm -hmm. it was, we, we create good, good debate, good discussion in class. So I really enjoy my time there. It's, it's difficult. Um, it's challenging for me because the language skill, I have to say sometimes I pull an all-nighter writing essays for for my classes uh -huh. or exit papers and stuff like that. But it's a well of knowledge, all the professor around there too. Um, and I can go back and talk a little bit about my experience, actually, um, the three year at LCC as well, if you'd like to. Yeah, I, know I about would, that. I would. So, but it sounds like on the language front that you made use of the Writing Center at both LCC and Michigan State. Talk to me a little bit about those years at LCC, though. So, um, you know, this is before you transfer to James Madison. Uh, what was it like being a student? What kind of uh, support and help did you get here to help you be successful as an international student? It is, it is amazing. It was amazing support. I, I wouldn't make it to MSU if I did not have the support of LCC community and my host family. Mm -hmm. I'm an also a recipient of um, the Foundation Scholarship. Excellent. So I'm grateful for that. And all the professors at LCC that I um, take classes from, they, they care. Yes. So I remember my first year, I can list all my uh, professors for reading and writing classes, like uh, Professor Steve Robbins, uh, Hopkins, um, Dr. Alan Mars, and Trudy Carpenter is one of the special instructors for my uh, confidential in writing class. That's where I produce a piece where I submit it. She encouraged me to submit it for a competition. That's how it got published in the college textbook writing. Wait a minute. We need to talk about that. So one of your professors encouraged you to enter a writing competition. Yes. Right. And you shared with me that when you were an LCC student that I, I'm imagining that writing wasn't the the most comfortable that you no. didn't probably did not view it as a strength of yours right no. no no so talk to me about this writing contest what did your professor encourage you to do and I'd love to hear the story I love it it's it's like a second semester and the very first basic writing class so I wrote a piece about the challenges I've overcome to come to the U.S. to earn a higher education uh -huh. so when Trudy read the piece she encouraged me, she cared, she encouraged me to put into publication, to compete for publication with the Thompson Press Foundations, okay. where they publish a couple versions of it. And um, so I did, and I won a second prize for that. And they gave, I think it's a lot at that time, for $1,500 toward scholarship towards school. That is a good, that's yes. a great writing award. Excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. And they also gave you like a royalty, you call it, right? Mm -hmm, like when sure. they publish, yeah. um, every time they publish, they will give you a little bit of money on the side for that. That's because you're a published author. That's <laughs> real you. work that you did. I'm so grateful for her. And the next writing class also, um, writing 2021 and 132, which mm -hmm. is a um, honor composition with uh, Professor Tim Mengs, also amazing. But mm -hmm. Trudy cares so much, not just encouraged me to apply, so happy when I won it. And I think it's her father, I'm not sure, also provides scholarship money. It's anonymous. So I am so thankful. So that is like a full support from 
many instructors, um, colleagues that I build a relationship with. That's how I came back to work here. It's it's amazing. I, I love hearing stories like that. And there are a couple of things that really kind of warm my heart about what you shared with me. First is at any community college, but particularly LCC, you encounter these very caring people, caring faculty, caring staff. And you, it, it sounds like you weren't, you weren't even done listing people, right? You had all these folks who helped you out and they made a real difference in your life. They do, like Professor Jill Recklin was in, I was introduced to her by um, my writing instructor. Mm -hmm. So that's how I connected and work at the writing center with the grade that you're in and you can compete to apply for the writing center. So that's where I work and also build a relationship with her okay. and we become colleague and friend. That's I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> so the the one thing I would tell you, and I know you've already figured this out, is uh, one of the one of the most moving ways to pay tribute or to give thanks to to folks who help you out like that is to do amazing work like you're doing. I know for Thank a fact you. that all these professors and staff members that you talked about, their very favorite thing is seeing you grow and develop and achieve your goals. And boy, you sure have done that. So I'm sure, I'm sure that you've made them very happy. But I wanted to come back to that colleague piece. Not only did you um, benefit from their help and develop and succeed, but you came back and you're one of their colleagues now. What's it like to work alongside these folks who helped you get where you are today? It's exciting and, and such an honor. When I came back, I think that's how I also told students many times that during your time here, be active, get involved. If you work on campus, it's an opportunity to networking and build relationship. Mm -hmm. You never know. One day you will be able to, you know, come back and and re rejoin the organization or the institution. So, um, yes, so I came back um, in 2014, May, mm -hmm. And I worked for Professor Jereklin again in the Writing Center Excellent. for almost a year before I joined the Learning Commons um, to be a professional tutor for their reading, writing, and ESOL classes. Wow. Well, we are so glad you're back. And it's a Thank wonderful, you. wonderful story. You know, before we end our conversation, Chelsea, you know, as we, as we move through this phase of the pandemic, one of the things that a number of us are thinking about is ways to attract students who wouldn't necessarily come to LCC. And I wonder what your thoughts are about um, how we can be supportive of and attractive to international students. You have a special lens on this, given your own experience. What kinds of things do we need to make sure we're doing to be attractive to international students? I, I love the question. And I think we have many opportunity to, uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, just... Um, a little bit of marketing also it helps. Okay. Um, we once the campus open fully again, mm -hmm. um, anything with international club that uh, invite student to join and share the experience with the local student. Um, but also we are smaller campus, like smaller institution compared to a four year university. So we provide a one-on-one, -on -one, closer, like, type kind of education that um, not they are not just the number. Right. So, and I think the price, you can't beat community college for the price that you start and right. here. And it's a great place to transfer to, um, take all the classes you want, and then transfer to other university with a decent cost. 
So one of the things I hear you saying is that we should probably toot our own horn about some things that we yes. already have going for us, yes. right? Smaller class size, uh, very uh, you know superior wraparound services, yes. um, but also um, something that's maybe a little more informal and a little smaller than a big research university. Yes, that's what we do. We have I I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything on my journey here, and. I would tell student, international student that I work with, like if they were talking about, I would like my brother and sister and my friend to attend. I'm like, yes, this is the right, this is the right move. Um, please do. From my experience, you benefit greatly. Um, great education, great quality education with professors and instructors that care so much about you, not just, you know, you're not just a number, but they care not just about your academic, but they want to see you grow and be um, successful um, on your endeavor. Yeah, and we do. We really, really do. And I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, in the coming years, uh, I'm very interested to see how LCC can grow and develop in these areas, uh, particularly with international students, either attracting international students here um, or providing international study away, study abroad programs for existing students. And then in in another way, I think it's important that we have activities uh, about our global context and our international um, situation or context for all students yes. so that we can see that there is a world outside of Lansing Community College. Definitely. Definitely. It's a cultural exchange. It's a huge uh, benefit. Well, speaking of huge benefit, we benefit hugely from you being here, Chelsea. So Thank not you. only because of your international experience, but because of your story. I really think that that your journey of from from Cambodia to Houston to Lansing and LCC and then on to Michigan State that really helps our students. So I really want to say thank you for all that you do for our students and for coming back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. LCC Alumni Stories is recorded, engineered, and produced by Steve Robinson on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was performed by Ian McCanty. Thanks for listening. Tune into future episodes and to learn more about what our alumni have been up to. If you're an LCC alum and you want to share your story, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. This has been LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices, vibes, vision. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu slash reconnect for more information. Far from the city where the Lorax roams free is the home of a magical truffle of trees. They grow happy and healthy and thick as you please, just waiting for visits from yous and from me's. Whoa. In a place you will love with things you'll adore us, it's a magical spot. We call it the forest. Look, everyone here needs the trees. And who are you? Wait, wait, I'm, I'm the Lorax. 
guardian of the forest. I speak for the trees. Visit the animals. Come see the plants. From the mighty sequoia to the tiniest ants. Discover its beauty. Take time to relax. See brown barbaloots or even the Lorax. I feel so alive! <laughs> I just like hearing you say it. The forest is there for you to explore. So come once to see it, then come back lots more. Visit discovertheforest.org. This message has been brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Engaged learning and academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. To help students navigate their educational career, LCC has created a proactive approach to learning and providing students with several academic support services. To find out what's available, visit lcc.edu services. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.